Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of our Memory Lane podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. And very pleased to be joined today by a man who has just an outstanding story uh, in sports. Terry Hanratty, a local guy from near Pittsburgh, a star at Notre Dame, won a national title, won a couple of Super Bowls with the Steelers. Talk about a very, very memorable sports career. Terry, how are you today? Thank you for joining me. Very good, Corey. It's always fun to talk to people from Pennsylvania. Oh, you know what? I, I I tried to look up if you won a state high school championship, Terry, because you won one in college, you won one in the NFL. Did, did you win anything at Butler to, to complete the trifecta? Well, my senior year, we were we only had a nine-game schedule. We were 8-1, and one. <clears throat> and back then they had that Gardner system. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Because if you had one defeat, you could not get in the playoffs. Mm. And we had, I, I think, one of the greatest uh, high school football teams ever. I mean, to think on that on that one team that we had. We had three guys that played at least eight years in the pros. So you what you you feel like you would have won a state title if you had had a chance? If we had a chance, yeah, there's no doubt that you know we screwed up against Aliquippa, and I actually you know did not have a well, I had a horrible game. And uh, but given a second shot, I think we could have easily won a state championship. Uh, we've got a lot of great memories to talk about uh, with Terry. But I like to start the podcast with uh, give people an idea of what you're doing now. Um, what what are you up to these days? Are you still involved in sports at all? Not at all. No, I'm. I'm uh, you know, my son played at Notre Dame, so I spent a lot of time out there. In the last, you know, he graduated about three years ago, mm-hmm. so I was out there quite a bit the last, you know, eight years. So. But I, I spent about 35 years on Wall Street, and now and I was uh, retired a couple years ago. And you know, I caught COVID. I was in the hospital. I had double COVID with uh, with uh, or double pneumonia with COVID, and you know, I was in the hospital five days. So it was a little goofy then. <clears throat> but I expected to turn, you know, start working on my golf handicap. But then I got a, a, a person got in touch with me and introduced me to this product that i've been i've been uh, traveling around and it's uh it's a uv lighting product that uh, kills all pathogens oh. so we were we've been going around different hospitals throughout the you know, more, more north 
east right now from Pittsburgh on to here. Now, what is that product called? That's it was it's it's a UV lamp, and it's it's a it's a, it's a twenty two nanometer lamp that kills all pathogens. It's it's unlike any you know UV lamps have been around for a hundred years, but if you have most most uh, people have UV lamps now and they put things in put the lamp in a room and it'll kill the pathogens in the room. But as soon as someone walks into the room, you have to turn it off because that UV lamp will burn your skin. Mm -hmm. This lamp does not burn your skin. You know, a fellow contacted me, and I was, you know, like I said, I was getting ready to work on my golf handicap. I said, you know, this is really interesting. It could, you know, we, and we've been contacting a lot of hospitals, a lot of uh, nursing homes, and a lot of schools. You know, those are the three biggest users, you know, where, where most pe people really need them. Obviously, hospitals have everything, and this is not this is not a COVID place. It, it play it kills all pathogens. We have, you know, it's been around. The company's been around for about 15 years. I just got involved with it a couple of years ago, and I've sort of been using the people that I know and traveling around and just you know talking to different people and uh, see if we can get some traction. So it, it's a, uh, you know, it, the company's called Sterile Ray. It's out of New Hampshire, and they're good people, very bright people, and. Uh, you know, we have a lot to back it up. So that's what, that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. So it's been fun. Terry, it keeps me out of trouble. We have a lot of sports stuff to talk about, but that's very fascinating to me. I, I chatted with John Kolb a few months ago, and I brought up the line of Chuck Knoll, uh, you know, go on with your life's work. Uh, we, we tend to think of athletes, professional athletes, about their sports careers. But 35 years on Wall Street, now you're doing something in the medical field. I, I find that part fascinating because people might know your sports story. And that's why I like to start this podcast with what you're doing now. Because when when athletes finish up with sports, you still have a whole life to live. And it sounds to me like you've been able to get uh, as much uh, nice experiences in, in your post-athletic career as well. Well, you know, the average life of uh, back then when I was playing, the average life was around four years, lifespan in the NFL. And and back then, you didn't make the kind of money you, that the kids make today. That You know, they're making now generational money where they will not have to work a day in their life and their kids won't have to work a day in their life. Back then, you know, when you when your season was over, you pretty much went to the job that you were hopefully in, doing in the future. You know, so uh, it's a different game. It's a different, you know, phase of life. But you you had to prepare for the for the uh, for the uh, long off season after you finish football. All right. So we've got a lot of different things we can talk about: the Steelers' career, the Notre Dame career. Uh, just so much success that you were able to have. I, I want to start with your college experience leading Notre Dame to a national championship in 1966. You finished third in the Heisman voting in 1968. You had a tremendous uh, college career at Notre Dame. What is your favorite memory of your college career, Terry? Well, the, probably the best one, the best decision I ever made in my life was I was 17 years old, which was, you know, high, highly crazy at the time when you think about it. A 17-year-old kid can make a big decision. But I was, I was all ready to go to Michigan State until I met Eric Parsegian, we came to Pittsburgh, and I drove down from Butler to meet him at the, uh, the old Hilton Hotel there in Pittsburgh. And we had lunch, and I came back to my mother, and I said, Mom, I'm going to Notre Dame. He says, well, I thought you were commit, going to commit to Michigan State. 
And I said, no. I said, I just met the man that I want to spend the next four years of my life with. And Air was a great disciplinarian, which, uh, you know, most, most of us needed back then. And he's a great football mind. We were never outcoached on the field. We were never surprised at what our opponent gave us. Sometimes we didn't perform as well as we should, but Air was always had us prepared well. And he was just a great human being. And I always say that I was, they had, when you start thinking about uh, coaches, and you always get the guy who never really played, who badmouths the coach. But Era, from the consensus All American down to the guy who never got on the field, everybody loved and respected Era. And that's, that, that's, you know, that's what really made everything so easy for me at Notre Dame. Now, had you had a, a good relationship up to that point? With Duffy Doherty with Michigan State, he he, he was a, Pen, a Pennsylvania guy. Uh, were, had you dealt much with him, and what what ter, what was the final factor from from going from Michigan State to Notre Dame? It was all era, but Duffy was just a wonderful, wonderful person. He really, was. and to this day, I hope Michigan State wins every game except for Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and that's that because Duffy left that such a, a mark on me. But I'll never forget. Again, you got to realize I'm 17, and I, you know, I committed to Notre Dame. I told Air it wasn't a big deal back then. He just made the phone call and said, "Coach, I'm coming." And there was no ESPN or any of the five stars, four stars, whatever. And but then I said, "Oh no!" Now I got to call Coach Doherty. Oh man, I'm just dreading this phone call. So I got him on the phone, and and I told him what I was going to do. And for the next 20 minutes, he said that I made a great decision. Era is a great football coach, and he went on and on what a great school Notre Dame was, what a great coach Era was. And he said, we're going to try to beat you now. Don't worry about that. We're going to face each other head up. We're going to try to beat you. And but he could not have been made such a tough decision so easy for a 17-year-old. Can I have the utmost respect for that? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
Well, you won the national title in 1966 going 9-0-1. You were the starting quarterback. What What is your favorite memory about that season? Uh, just for yourself personally, what it was like to be at Notre Dame, Terry, to win a national title with one of the most storied you know, sports programs in the world. What What was that whole experience like? You know, it was it was really, Kevin, you know, Jimmy Seymour and I were the only real question marks on that team. Because we had a veteran offensive line, a veteran defense, a veteran running back, everything. But all we had was, everybody said, well, what can this quarterback and receiver do under pressure? So Arapur really kept us in a, in a shell for a better part of the season and just sort of let us do our thing and made, you know, he, he didn't try to ease you into a game. I mean, we came out firing the football against Purdue in our first game of the year. And so, you know, Aaron just had the utmost confidence in that. And that's the whole thing. If a quarterback can feel that a coach has the confidence, that pretty much makes your game for you right there. Now, you had a lot of individual success at Notre Dame, again, including uh, finishing third in the Heisman vote in 1968. O.J. Simpson won uh, the Heisman that year, by the way. But what was what what was your most memorable aspect of your career, be it the personal success, the team success, uh, some of both? Or what, what do you really enjoy your biggest takeaway from Notre Dame? It's always the team success because if you didn't have the team success, you're not going to have the personal success. So it starts with that. I mean, I had a great, I had a, a great offensive line running back. Defense got me the ball. You know, you got to figure in my sophomore year when we won the national championship, we averaged about 35 points a game, and our and our defense gave up two and a half points a game. <laughs> and if you take out the block punt we had for a touchdown, that two and a half even comes down further. So when you're starting at midfield and, you know, you can sort of relax because you know the defense is going to keep you in the game until you get started or whatever. So it was just, it's, a, it's a team effort. I mean, there's no greater sport in the world as far as building a team than football because if everybody, all 11, have to do the right thing for it to be successful. You know, I played a lot of baseball as a batter against the pitcher. I played a lot of basketball, you know, sometimes a lot of one-on-one. And I ran track, and that was definite individual sport and so but football is the ultimate team sport what was it like to be at notre dame at that time i mean again clearly notre dame the the football tradition uh incredible for decades and decades and decades and still is what was it like to be there with eric parsegan in the 60s and and to be a football player on the campus at notre dame well the academics weren't any fun i mean you had to go to class you had to do your work. And I've talked to a lot of friends who were different schools, man. They were skating. And I'm going, whoa, I got 8 o'clock classes. You know, back then when you're in your teens, 8 o'clock is like 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, get, trying to get up at 8 o'clock. But Era made sure. He, he, he had a system where he had he sent out a, a flyer to all the professors at Notre Dame that had his football players in the class. And back then you were allowed three cuts per class, you know, missed three classes. And you're not, and you won't get penalized. Under error, you got zero cuts. <laughs> so he said, if this, if this guy, if this player ever cuts, call me. <clears throat> I got the call one time, and that's all you want. <laughs> I missed the class, and I got a call about 15 minutes later, and he started yelling. He said, "Get down to my office!" Yelling, screaming. He said, "There's 15 minutes of that class. Get your ass up there." <laughs> and and you and you and he made sure 
you know, we had, ERA had a 98 or 99% graduation from the four years I was there. And it, you know, it, it remained the same. I think his whole career is high 90s. So he made sure that everybody got their degree because he, he put the hammer down. After your stellar college career, you go into the NFL draft uh, in 1969. You were picked uh, 30th overall in the second round by the Steelers. And we'll, I'll get to the, your thoughts on being uh, picked by your hometown team in a second. But what was your thought going into the draft? What, what was that whole feeling like? Had you had communication with Chuck Knoll or folks from the Steelers? Well, the Steelers brought me in to check out. I had, I had. You got to realize back then the the uh, the draft was in January, so your seasons. You know, everybody's season's over in December sometimes, and I had just had my knee operated on, and I got. You know, I missed the last three games of my senior year, so I was when I when the draft came, I was just getting out of my cast, so I had not. You know, had the time yet to rehab it. So the Steelers, you know, brought me in and checked it out, and everything checked out well. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of teams, you know, back then they didn't have a lot of money. You weren't, you weren't flying around everybody, and everybody had to check, you know, their personal doctor check your leg. So I think that injury probably slipped me to the second round. But it was very, I mean, I could not have been drafted by a better organization. You know, I, I tell people that I was so fortunate in my football career. You know, I had a great career. Thank my parents in Butler. They, uh, I grew up there in a great time, and Art Bernardi, the coach there. And then, you know, the best decision I ever made was to, you know, to go to Notre Dame, then getting drafted by the Steelers. And I like an Aeroparsegan a lot with, with Art Rooney because you can ask 100 people, and normally you would get a 50 50 split whether people like the person or not. But both of those guys would get 100% on the like calendar. Art Rooney was a great person to work for. The Rooney family, great, great people to be with and, you know, to work for. And the same, you know, I, I compare them a lot to Notre Dame. I mean, they're a big family and they think a lot of you and think about your successes. And so I was very fortunate to have Notre Dame and the Steelers in my football career. Was it a dream come true? What's it like for you and your family, your parents? You're from Butler. You're 40, 45 miles away from Pittsburgh. Did, did you grow up a Steelers fan? And and to get the call from them to get drafted by the Steelers, your hometown team, just how how wild was that for you at that time in your life? Uh, it, was, it was great. You know, I got the call from Chuck Noll. I was in my dorm at Notre Dame, you know, waiting for a phone call from somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when they picked Joe Green, and I knew Joe, Joe and I got to be good friends because we traveled around on the All-American Tour for, for uh, college, college. So Joe has always been a friend of mine since, you know, basically in college. And when they picked Joe, it did not surprise me at all. I know Pittsburgh was up in arms that they didn't go for a quarterback or me, whatever. But I said, man, they got them tough the hell of a defensive player. But Joe was great, and he turned out to be even better. And uh, then to get picked on the second round, you know, I, there were there were teams who inquired through our sports information director in Notre Dame, you know, about me, blah 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 blah. And uh, then I think they think when the Steelers passed on a quarterback, because you know Steelers needed a quarterback at the time, there must be something wrong with that knee because they brought him in. So who knows? There, there, you never know. It was a crazy game back then, but but. Everything turned out perfectly. I mean, it, was, it could not have been better with a better organization. T- 
Terry, you, you played eight games. You started five in 1969. You were still starting quarterback in 1970, but they brought in somebody else. And I, I, I just, I'd like to hear your thoughts about Terry Bradshaw. What was it like? You, you were both young. You were in your second year. Uh, they, they bring in another quarterback, a, a number one overall guy in Terry Bradshaw. What, what was that like for you? Did, did you, were, were you upset or angry that they brought in another quarterback? Were you just in it for the team and you were going to help Terry do whatever he needed uh, to take over? What was that feeling like for you? Well, it, it, it's all competition. You know, when I went to Notre Dame, they, you know, back then you're, every team had 35 scholarships. Notre Dame brought in four all-state quarterbacks in my class. Me from Pennsylvania, Coley O'Brien from Maryland, uh, Bob Belden from Ohio, and Mike Franger from Indiana. So it was just, okay, we got to compete. Well, you know, what the hell's the difference? And, you know, life is one big competition. So there's something that you're going to have to do. You can't avoid it. And I'll never forget, I got the call from Chuck. I was in basic training in the Army in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. How bad is that? I was, after, you know, I was in National Guard. And uh, in the off, in the, when the season was over with my rookie year, which I got the hell kicked out of me, that's the second story. But we, at, at that time, then, we, then I had to go into the National Guard for my six months uh, basic training. Mm-hmm. And so, so when the draft happened, you know, I was in there, and then Chuck called me, and I never forget, I got called to the phone booth where there was a call for me, and it was Chuck, and he was, you know, there's no reflection on how you play. We thought you played really well, and uh, you know, we're gonna, it's going to be competitive. I said, fine, you know, I have no, no, no problem with competition, and I was more concerned about getting up at four o'clock for the guard duty the next day. <laughs> What was what was it like early on with with Terry Bradshaw and that competition? You were still the starter. Uh, he eventually, of course, took over that role. But how do you feel that you did in from a competitive standpoint and in, in doing everything you could to try to keep and hold on to that job? Well, again, you know, you try to do the best you can, no matter what, you know, practice whatever in the games. And it was uh, it was probably not the best situation for the Steelers. Uh, and I'm glad that I was there, but I think early on, you don't, you don't draft someone in the second round. Then the next year you draft someone in the first pick of the draft, you know, quarterback, especially because the quarterback can't help you on special teams or anything else. Mm-hmm. He's going to play quarterback and that's it. And, uh, so that probably, they probably should have made a move earlier. I'm glad they didn't, but, uh, that probably would have been the best because you had two young quarterbacks. I, I mean, I was a veteran quarterback in my second year, you know, because I had all that great experience for you know one year under my belt, you know. So, it, luckily, you know, the the offense was easy for me, you know, I absorbed it very well, and uh, so I could help Terry a lot. You know, I helped a lot when I was on the sideline and he was coming out in the game or whatever, and we had a good relationship. You know, he, we were roommates for a while, and I know he spent a lot a lot of. Uh, couple uh thanksgivings with my family and i in pittsburgh and uh you know wrestling with my dogs and playing with the kids and, <laughs> you know we, we we had a good relationship there's no problem whatsoever for your career 
you won a couple Super Bowls. You were on the team. You were the backup quarterback. You you finished a couple of the Super Bowls. Uh, you, you're on the field. Um, what was it like being the backup to Terry Bradshaw and the organization is having success versus if you might have been somewhere else and you would have maybe still had an opportunity to start? How did you balance those two things as someone 24, 25 years old? Well, first of all, you, you, there's nothing you could do about it. You know, back then, there was no free agency. You know, you could not go to camp and go to Canada. But that's that was about the only option you had. And so you just sort of had to absorb everything and uh, just play for the best. If they're going to trade me, they're going to trade me. If not, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But then there gets to a, a point where, again, you, you know, you, you never made a, a lot of money playing football. Nobody did back then. So you had to really start thinking about your second career. And, you know, I was, you know, I got a lot of injuries. You know, I had the knee operation in, in college. I've had a broken ankle in high school. And, you know, those things start to wear on you. And you know, I had a lot of uh, the hamstring tears and broken fingers and whatnot and broken ribs and, you know, broken nose, everything. And football, when it, it comes to a peak where it's great, then it's not so good anymore. You know, let someone else do it. And after my eighth year, my last year at Tampa, my eighth year, I said, I've had enough. I want, I got, I got to move on. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that's going to stick around for the last snap in this business. And uh, I love the game. I love playing the game. But there's a time where you just have to say, you know, enough's enough. You did get opportunities in the postseason, and again, those teams won Super Bowls. What's your favorite memory uh, of all of that from the '70s with the Steelers? Uh, the, the thing that really sticks out in my mind is after the first Super Bowl, when we're in the locker room, everybody's going crazy, and Pete Rozelle's up there on the platform, and Chuck Noll and uh, Terry may have been up there, and uh, Mr. Rooney was up there. And just to see the proud look on that old Irishman, it was just a, a sight for, for everybody's eyes. He was, you know, he went through 40 years of not winning. Come on, you know. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and so he finally got one. And just just the look on his face was just wonderful to see. Really was. In talking to some former Steelers, um, the, the sentiment seems to be that as the 70s went on, everybody knew how good and how special that team could be. What did you see as 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 the decade was going on and – uh, the immaculate reception and everything, and, and then having the playoff success and winning Super. How, what what is your recollection uh, of of feeling about being in a group of of great players and in an organization that was really doing some great great things? Well, you you could tell right there. First of all, there's nobody on our defense back then who could play today because they'd be out of the game in the first quarter. Because those guys are, they hit you, and they hit you hard. Unlike you see, you see a lot of the hits today. I mean, when you get a guy like Mel Blunt who's six four, two two eighteen, runs a four four forty, and just it, it just take your head off. And Glenn Edwards, and to forget about you know Joe Green's and the LC Greenwoods and the and the Ernie Holmes and Dwight White and, and Lambert. And, I mean, this we had some really. Nasty football players are great people. 
and it's it such a different game from from back then to today. It's almost difficult to watch. Sure, you know, a quarterback. You know, if if Terry Wright ever turned up field, he turned up field a lot more than I did. And and you slid, you got about three helmets in your back, <laughs> and and it wasn't a penalty. You know, nowadays, if if you just start your slide, you can't get touched. If a quarterback, you know, they can't hit you in the knees if you're trying to, they're trying to sack you. A quarterback, and everybody said, do you believe Tom Brady's playing this long? I said, hmm. yeah. I said, no one touches you. You can play until you're 100. <laughs> and he doesn't get touched. I mean, they protect the, the league really protects them. As a kid from Butler, as a kid from Butler, Terry, growing up and accomplishing everything you did, how, how proud are you looking back over everything from high school to college to the pros? What is, how, how proud are you of, of the things you accomplished in your sports career? Well, everything went well, you know, and and I, you know, I'm not so much that I can say I'm so proud of this, and that, and this, and that. I'm proud that I was on great teams, and we all did really well together. That's that's the whole whole game right there. And as I mentioned earlier, Chuck Knoll was famous for saying, you know, get on with your life's work. You spent 35 years on Wall Street. What was that whole experience like? <laughs> I was as crazy as football. I, I was a trader. I traded stocks. And you're trading millions of dollars of stocks for you know per hour, and you know trying to get good prices here, good prices there, and and you know the market opens at nine thirty and four close at four, and you are just going a mile a minute, just basically the whole time. So it, it's wild. It was fun. It was a, a great football was great training program for it because I was to the point where I knew I, I made decisions in a three second period to throw the ball or not. And when you have an interception, you got to come back and forget about the interception. You don't. Not all your trades are great. So when you don't have a good one, you got to forget about it. Come back, do it again. Where some people don't have that in their DNA. But it was. It was. Uh, both careers were very gratifying. Which was more pressure, playing quarterback in the NFL or trading stocks? Wow, that's a hell of a question because when you, you could be on the verge of losing a lot of money or you could be on the verge of losing a game for a whole city. <laughs> so that now that's a hell of a question. It's probably a toss up. <laughs> yeah, ask people in Pittsburgh, they want they want the win for the Steelers. I am uh you know, that's that that's started believe me, if if that football didn't happen, I probably wouldn't have never ended up on Wall Street. Okay. Know, because they all that you know, you had the name and they wanted to Hire a name and, you know, it worked from there. All right. I've got two more for you, and these are kind of outside the box. One is about uh, your son playing at Notre Dame in the current state of college football. But the first one I have is, uh, and hey, I'm putting you on the spot. If you, if you don't want to answer, that's okay. What do you think of Bitcoin? I have no idea what it is. And that scares the hell out of me, and I wouldn't touch it. Does anybody have any idea what it is, Terry? I mean, even the people no, who have no, money in it, do they know what it is? I don't think they do, and I just, you know, I just saw an article today of all these athletes who lost a fortune. Yep. In, in bitcoins, you know, that Trevor Lawrence, mm -hmm. he lost like thirty-seven million, as someone said. And you know, you, you got you got that money, guy. Just put it away. <laughs> the bank, and you got a hell of a good life. Just like right. I said earlier, this is they're making generational money. You know, I, I had a conversation with Art Rooney, you know, the president of the Steelers. Now, Artie was a ball boy when I was with the Steelers. And we we're talking on the phone. This is a couple, a few months ago. And I said, "All right." I said, 
what would your grandfather say if he knew how much money you were spending on players right now? <laughs> <laughs> and then you start laughing at Cal, and it's true. I mean, it's, sports are absolutely out of control. I'm, I know they said it when you know the people who played in the 40s and 50s said it about me, about our generation. But this is we made good. We made good money for the year back then. They're making good money for the generation. And it, it's just, it's, you know, keep your money in the bank, man. Don't, don't, don't even think about anything as crazy as Bitcoin. And your son played at Notre Dame, correct? What was his experience like there? Yes, he, he was a really good offensive line. He was 6'5", 3'10". I mean, he's a bit, I, I was the biggest hand ready ever. That's a big dude. He, That's a big dude. Yeah, he, he blew by me in a heartbeat. But he was really good. He couldn't play his fifth year because he had a lot of concussions. But he got a one-year MBA, and now he's working on uh, investment banking in Wall Street. There you go. Well, been there about five years and doing really well, making a lot of money. And uh, luckily, they work him so hard he doesn't have time to spend it, so that's good. So he's following in Dad's footsteps both on and off the field. I do want to ask you about NIL because you had a son who played uh, college football recently. Uh, college football has changed so dramatically with the transfer portal and NIL. Where do you think college football is right now, and, and where do you think it's going? First of all, I want the NIL from when I played. <laughs> all right. I, 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 I would make I would have made a lot of money. But I, I am so against this. There are arguments that coaches move from here to here. Players should be able to move. Well, coaches have been coaching for 10, 15 years before they get to the point where they can make a move. Here you're getting a high school kid coming out of high school, going to his first job in college, and now he's going to make a move the next year. It, you know, you got to show some stability to your university. It's going to. And what do you do when you got this quarterback who's making all the money, and you got these offensive linemen who are not getting anything? How do you spread that around? And the offensive guy says, "You know, maybe we should give this guy a heads up here." There's no, there's no way to build a team or camaraderie. I mean, just ridiculous. It's going to get to the point where the schools are going to have to pay that offensive lineman to keep him there. And what the schools are going to say, okay, we're going to pay him, but that takes away his academic part of his scholarship. We can't afford to pay for his schooling and the money. And these kids, right now, it's one half of 1% or less than that that go from high school to the pros. And these guys are going to risk that money for a few grand. What are they going to, they're going to blow the money, number one. I would have. If you were to give me 20 grand when I was at Notre Dame, man, that would have been gone in the weekend. And then what you have, you have nothing. Guarantee what, I, what I've said about college athletics, what they should do is, okay, Joe Blow, if you want to leave, you have a scholarship here for life. You can come back to this. If you're 50 years old and realize you made a mistake, you come back to this. Notre Dame will say, you come back to Notre Dame and you will have a scholarship free. But that's the only commitment that they should make to the, because that's right now, especially nowadays. I mean, these, these uh, scholarship are worth, you know, after tax, at least five, six hundred thousand dollars Yeah. Crazy. What, what they're worth now. Very well said. I'm, I'm so, I'm so against the NIL. Well, players should get paid this and that. You know, you can make a little compensation here or there, but don't make it a bidding war. I heard this kid from Pitt. 
who just went to Southern Cal for $3 million. Mm-hmm. What happens if he gets hurt? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it could easily happen. And it, I just don't, I don't like where it's going. I really don't. Because this is a collegiate game and the pros are a different game. I don't want the college to turn into a semi-pro team. And that's what that's the direction they're going right now. All right, that's very very well said. From Butler to Notre Dame to the Steelers to Wall Street to the medical field, quite uh, quite a life, Terry. And I I can't thank you enough for sharing all of those fascinating fascinating elements. Just really great memories, and I I can't thank you enough. Okay, Corey, you take care now. All right, thank you so much. All right. Then.